I see these children around this church tonight, and I think about how I grew up and the things that I experienced in my life. And no doubt uh, you go back and relive some of your past and you, your better days as a teenager and, and fun times you had and things that you did. I'm not suggesting tonight that we just go out on a mountain somewhere and pray and wait for God to come. But I don't believe for a minute that these children that sit in this building tonight, I do not believe for one minute that you're going to have to worry about Brother Jody teaching them how to drive an automobile. I don't believe for a minute, ladies, you're going to have to worry about helping your daughters pick out a prom dress. There's some of you are not going to have to worry about finding a mate. Time's not going to last that long. Listen, I say that. Some of you nod your head and you say, yeah, preacher, you're, you ain't got a clue. We ain't got a clue how close to being over this thing really is. And I'm telling you tonight that God Almighty has begun to stir in the hearts of His people a real, genuine Holy Ghost stirring among God's people to get out. And I want to talk to you tonight, if the Lord will be my helper, on the subject of when we cry, we'll fly. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7 and down about verse number 30. I'll begin tonight. I'll give you some things just by way of doctrinal study tonight. And it'll give you some understanding of where we stand. Without any shadow of a doubt, there are individuals that sit in this building tonight that I believe with all of my heart you will be here for the tribulation. You think about this. If Jesus Christ comes when I believe he's coming, the next president of the United States, whoever it is, if it's Hillary Clinton or whoever the Lord sees fit to let get that office, will be the president when the Antichrist sits on the throne in the temple in Jerusalem and they will align themselves with the Antichrist. Acts chapter number 7 verse number 30. When forty years were expired, there appeared to him, speaking of Moses here, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near, he beheld it, and the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord unto him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And am come, and I will send thee into Egypt. And if the Lord will help me tonight, I'm going to teach you some Bible doctrine around the subject of when we cry, we'll fly. When you look at this tonight, I'll give you three things. You'll see the promise, you'll see the principle, and you'll see the previews. 
The promises tonight and why we understand that God will return one day to deal with the nation of Israel. God is not dealing nationally with Israel as a nation tonight. God's dealing with the Gentiles tonight, non-Jews. But we believe and we understand doctrinally from the pages of God's Word that for seven years God will come back one more time to deal with the nation of Israel to deal with the Jews. Turn to Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 24, and I'll show you in the Word of God, I'll explain to you from the Scriptures why we believe chronologically that there are going to be seven years of the Great Tribulation. There are other reasons in the Scripture, but Daniel chapter number 9 spells it out very clearly for us. When you look in the big book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the big book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then the smaller book of Daniel, chapter number 9, verse number 24. Verse 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Thy people here that the 70 weeks is speaking of is the Jews or the nation of Israel. The holy city is the city of Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined, And he shall confirm his covenant with many for one week. That phrase, one week, is what we're going to talk about tonight in the great tribulation period. For one week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. When you back up in this scripture, we'll look at the chronology of this. And this will help you understand some things about Bible prophecy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now, you see in Bible prophecy, there's some things we got to understand. What does God mean by a week? Does it mean seven days? No, that's not what it means. In understanding a little bit about your King James Bible, there are certain phrases that were Hebrew phrases that there were no English words to express that meaning. And the word week was used here to express a period or a group of sevens. And this is speaking of one week, you understand to be seven days. 
But prophetically, when God's speaking in Daniel chapter number 9, a week is a period of sevens, but not seven days, seven years. And, and we can prove that by just simple math. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem and the Messiah the Prince shall be first of all seven weeks and then three score and two weeks. Seven weeks or the seven years that we're talking about in a week is seven times seven. Now stay with this is not I don't mean to confuse you. He said there's seven weeks. So if each week represents seven years and there's seven weeks, then that's seven times seven. That's forty-nine. 49 years. And he said that and he broke this down separate from the rest. From the time Cyrus made the decree in the year of 445 B.C. that the children of Israel could go back and build the wall, it was 49 years until that wall was built. And then he goes on forward and he says three score in two weeks. And when you add those together, you come up with a total of 483 years. If you do not go by a Roman calendar, if you calculate this and go to a Jewish calendar, a Roman calendar has 365.25 days in a year. If you try to use a Roman calendar, it will not work out. But if you use a Jewish calendar and you go back to this, if you look at this 483 years that the angel Gabriel told Daniel to prophesy and tell the children of Israel that Messiah is going to come in 483 years from the time Cyrus made that decree that you could go back and you figure that based on 360 days in a year, you'll find yourself on April the 2nd, A.D. 30. Palm Sunday, when the Messiah, the Son of God, rode that little donkey down the east street of Jerusalem 483 years after God said it was going to happen, Messiah came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey just like God said he would. Are you getting a hold of what I'm saying? But that's not 70 weeks. That's 69 weeks. 69 times 7 comes up with this 483 years. We're missing one full week. Seven days to you, seven years in God's economy. That God promised Israel that in those seven years, this thing will be finished and it will be wrapped up. What is that seven years? That is the great tribulation period. God made Israel a promise of 70 weeks and he will establish his earthly kingdom for the Jews and they got one week to go. But just as much as God promised them 70 weeks, he promised the blood-bought church of God that we would not be here to go through that 70th week. We're not going to be here. Look at your Bible. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 10. 
I'm going to explain this if God will be my helper tonight in a way you can understand what this Bible says about what is about to take place. You understand tonight as you look around that the little nation of Israel has become a cup of trembling. The people of the nation of Israel go to the wailing wall every day and stand at that wall and wail and write their prayers on a little piece of paper and roll them up and stick them in that little section of wall that's left and pray for Messiah to come. They're crying and they won't out from under the bondage of suicide bombers that come in and blow up their children in their schools every day. They're crying they won't out. And what they don't understand is they want out so bad that one day when the church is raptured out, the Antichrist will step on the scene and they'll want help so bad they will embrace the Antichrist and say, help us. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, God speaking to the church of Philadelphia, which are the last day's believers that will be on this planet for the rapture of the church. Revelation 3.10, Jesus said, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. There's a lot of folks tonight doctrinally messed up that believe they're going to have to go through the tribulation. I was up in Ohio a few years ago with a gentleman, and bless his heart, he didn't understand Bible prophecy, didn't understand Scripture. He had bought $20,000 worth the guns and ammunition had him in his basement ready to go through the great tribulation period. He thought he was going. Listen, you can go through it if you want to. I ain't going through it. I don't have to. God is not going to save his little babies and make his little children part of his body and then punish us by making us go through the wrath of Almighty God in the great tribulation. He's not dealing with Gentiles in the great tribulation. He's dealing with Jews. And you see the promise of God to Israel that he will deal with them one more time. And you look around tonight in the stage is being set. My soul just watch the news for about five minutes and find out what's going on over there in the Middle East and you can see that God is turning this thing upside down. And God is about to give us leaders and legislatures all the way up to the President of the United States that's going to fall in behind the Antichrist. And if the United States of America is still a nation, midway of the tribulation period, she will turn against Israel. All nations will. And you see the promise. And then you see some principles tonight. I've spoken of this before, but there's a great principle that will help you understand what's taking place. And the principle is a Jewish marriage ceremony. The first part of a Jewish marriage is the espousal period. And that's what we in our culture would call the engagement And in the engagement, you get a token of the marriage, a promise that the marriage is going to take place. And when I proposed to my wife, I gave her a diamond ring that said that you're mine and I'm yours and I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to marry you and make you my wife. When I got saved, when I got birthed into the family of God, God gave me the indwelling Holy Spirit of God as a token that one day He's going to come back and get me. 
But you see the Jewish espousal period. Number two, the man who has espoused his wife will make preparations at his father's house. He'll go back to his father's house and he'll build a room typically onto his father's house to be a place that he could come to and he could bring his new wife to be in his father's house and all of his inheritance is on his father's property and someday he'll inherit that land and he'll take his wife back there one day. John chapter 14 verse number 1 Jesus said let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. In my father's house are present tense right now are many mansions. If it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there ye may be also. And when Jesus Christ sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, he prepared a place Positionally, not a house, not a building. The mansions that we receive in heaven are going to be our glorified body. I know that blows a lot of Baptists out of the water that are expecting to get a 15-bedroom place to live in. That ain't what you're going to get. But when you see this, the Lord Jesus has already prepared a place for those that love Him. And in that Jewish marriage ceremony, after He's prepared a place... Then number three, he'll come back unannounced and claim his bride. That's a picture of the rapture of the church. It was the responsibility of that bride to watch and to wait for her bridegroom. If it took six weeks, if it took six months, it was her job to be ready and to be clean and to be watching and to be waiting. I'm going to tell you what I've been looking for him lately. I believe he's on his way and he's going to come get us. And it'd do you well tonight to get your eyes open and get to watching for the Son of God to come back because he ain't going to make no announcement about it. He's just coming. There was no announcement, but he would just come. And when he would come, he would carry his bride back to his father's house for the marriage. You look in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. You see in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, Jesus Christ deals with the church. When you get to chapter number 4, verse number 1, you see that John heard that angel and heard that voice that said, Come up hither. That's a picture of the rapture of the church. And from that point forward, all the way through the entire book of Revelation, as the tribulation is going on on this planet Earth, you will not see the church on on this planet again. The next time you see the church, a few verses later, at that four and twenty elders seated around the throne of God, you see the church in heaven with Jesus Christ. She ain't gone through the tribulation. But what's about to take place is the marriage takes place and he takes his wife to be in his father's house. And the word of God teaches that when a man took a wife, he took a little period of a year that he had just stayed with his wife. He didn't have to go to war. He didn't have to do a lot all things but just to, to go and comfort his wife for you. That's what Jesus is going to do. Just going to love on us. Oh, just born again. Actually for seven years he's just going to love on us at the marriage. And then if you understand about that Jewish marriage ceremony, after he's took her to his father's house, finally he returns to her house for the marriage supper. Look in Revelation chapter number 19 and I'll show you some things that was customary in that day. When he began to come back to the house, 
and he headed back to the house. As he was going back, he would say and make a pronouncement that he was coming. And they'd be on the rooftops in those homes in Jerusalem. And when a bride and a bridegroom would come into the city, and he'd start on one rooftop, and they'd yell to the next rooftop, and say, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And they'd yell, and they'd know whose daughter it was. And from one housetop to the next housetop, they'd yell, Hey, the bridegroom's coming. And then he would go into that household that was his wife's house, and he would sit down, and all of his enemies, all of his foes would be his footstool. And he would come into that house, and he would gird him himself and he would serve his friends. You look in Revelation chapter number 19 beginning down about verse number 5 and a voice came out of the throne saying praise our God all ye his servants and ye that fear him both small and great and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters as the voice of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, there's been a marriage that took place in heaven. But there's not much of a marriage supper if you don't invite some guests to come. Who's the guests, Brother Jody, that are going to get to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Tribulation saints. The Jews that got saved out of great tribulation are going to get to come and sit at the marriage table with the Son of God and His bride. And they'll be His friends and they'll come in on that day. And the Word of God said, He said unto me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet and worshipped him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren. And have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name was called the Word of God. <laughs> and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Miss Lori, you won't have to worry about falling off a horse that day. Right. You'll be able to ride like the wind Amen. and follow the Son of God as He comes back and finally sets foot on this earth on the east street of Jerusalem and rides into the city to take His rightful place on the throne of God and His little bride's going to be right there with Him. Yeah. And the Word of God tells us in the Scriptures in Luke 12, let, verse number 35, let your loins be girt about. He's talking to Jews. Men who came through great tribulation, let your loins be girt about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. And when he will return from the wedding, when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to me, and will come forth and serve them. You see all of this, and tonight there's a great preview. The preview back in Acts chapter number 7 where I began. Acts chapter number 7 beginning about verse number 17. 
When the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born, was exceeding fair, nourished up in his father's house three months, when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nursed him for her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them that they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, your brethren, why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Median, where he begat two sons. When forty years were expired, there appeared unto him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wandered at the side, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and dressed not behold, and then said the Lord unto him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I've seen, I've seen the affliction of thy people, which is in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them, and now come, and I will send thee into Egypt. And this Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. And he brought them out after that he had showed them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. When you look at this, God gives a prophetic preview of all that I've just talked to you about tonight. You see, if you're not careful, you'll read through your Bible and you'll miss what God's saying. Now, I know most of you know this because you've heard me preach on this before. At least I hope you know this. But the entire picture of Moses was a picture of the sweet Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see God's people in Egypt is the type of the world. That's where God's little children are today. And in a way, in a typology, it's a type of being in sin, being lost without God. But for the church today, it's a type of being God's children in this world for the world to come. But Moses was born in troublous times. And the Pharaoh had all the children from two years old and under killed. That's what happened when Jesus was born. And you see the picture and the typology of Christ. Moses was raised by a foster family. Who's that remind you of? The sweet Lord Jesus raised by Mary and Joseph. The Word of God said that he was mighty in words and in deeds. And you see a picture of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that Moses went to his own and his own received him not. He said, why do you strive against one another? Can't you 
see, I've come to deliver you and be a help to you. And they said, who made you a judge over us? Ain't that what the Pharisees and the scribes said to the Son of God? Who Who gave you authority to preach in our temples and in our synagogues? And then you see, when it was over with, you see Moses. When he was rejected, the Word of God said he went to Median. He went to Jethro, the priest of Median, and married his daughter Zipporah. And the Word of God said he beget two sons. That's a picture of Jesus Christ after he was rejected by the Jews. Went and married a Gentile bride and brought forth children. That's the church. That's where you're at today. But watch the next picture. God appears to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, you're going to go back now. They rejected you the last time. They wouldn't listen to you the last time, Moses. But this time you're going to go back in the power of God. You're going to have a rod that's going to turn to a serpent. You're going to have a rod that's going to turn the waters to blood. You're going to have a rod when you hold it out over the Red Sea, the water's going to part. And you're going back in power and glory. And that's what Jesus is about to do at the end of the seven years tribulation. We'll come back in power and glory. But what brought that about? Verse number 34, I have seen. I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. <clears throat> Look at Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good land, a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Let me give you another picture. Look in Second Peter chapter 2. When the children of God, the children of Israel, if you will, begin to cry in the tribulation period, God, get us out of this mess. God's going to come and deliver them. But you see, the children of Israel today... Since Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear that wall down, immediately 400,000 Jews returned out of the Soviet Union back into their homeland of Israel. And God, since that day, has been drawing Jews back into Jerusalem so he could deal with them in the land. That's where God deals with his children in the land. You've seen it in your lifetime. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. Brother Jody, in your lifetime, you've seen this book come alive. Amen. And they're crying right now, God help us. You know what he's going to do? Brother Jesse, he's going to help. He's fixing to any moment. But the help they get ain't what they're really looking for, Miss Lloyd. They're going to get seven years of tribulation that's going to drive them to their knees in godly sorrow. And they're going to see Jesus Christ, the one they crucified. And all at once, that one-third of the nation that's left that does not die in the great tribulation, a nation will be born at once. They'll see Jesus and they'll say, praise God, Messiah. They won't reject Him next time. God's fixed a deal with them, but before He does, we're leaving. If you're born again, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. 
and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And when you see Lot, you see a picture as vague as it may seem to you, of a righteous man, a just man that the Word of God said was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Do you understand tonight that America has turned into a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah? You look around you today, God's little children are so vexed. God's little people are so oppressed by the satanic forces that I see all around me God's little babies beginning to cry, God, please, God, please, would you get us out of this mess? God, would you help us? And I'm telling you, the pressure's getting turned up every day. I've seen great men of God that I have great admiration for. And they've said, Brother Mike, in the past 10 years, men that's been in the ministry for years, Brother Weston, said, I've never seen a time that it was so hard to hear the voice of God. And discern what God's saying. There are so many voices. You look around today the way this world is vexed. You look at the way that teenagers are coming up. And mom and daddy, I'll warn you tonight as a pastor that loves you, if you've got any respect for God and your children, you've got any love for your children, you need to jerk that ungodly cable out of their bedroom. You need to take that internet mess out of their bedroom. I'm telling you, if a parent will let their children have that stuff alone in their bedroom, you need to be bored and check for the hollerhead. It's full of demons straight out of hell. I'm telling you, our young people today, have you ever seen children today as violent as children are. You watch children, I've seen them come in this building that cannot hold themselves back from being violent to other children. I knew a preacher several years ago, he talked about being in a situation where he dealt with a little nine-year-old boy. And this little nine-year-old boy was such a sex pervert. He was kicked out of every school he was in. When he was smaller in daycare, they could not let this little child be alone with any other child, male or female. He molested every child that he came in contact with. I'm telling you today, we've raised a generation that are full of demons. Amen. And that oppression... Pushes and presses. You look at the homosexual community today. One of the most helpless communities of individuals that's ever lived. Hopeless community of individuals. And listen tonight, I'm not gay bashing. I know they got a soul and I know some of them that have not turned reprobate can be saved. The Word of God said such were some of you. But what a miracle that anybody in that position could ever get born again. But they're coming out of the closets all around us. 
Jesus. And an individual just got fired from a radio station, so-called Christian radio station, because he refused to play the music of homosexuals that had come out of the closet that say that they're southern gospel music performers. Let me tell you something tonight. There are two types of sin. You mark her down. You put this somewhere in your mind. There are natural sins and there are unnatural sins. Adultery, as awful as it is, is a natural sin. It's natural for a man to lust after another woman. That's natural. It's not right. It's a sin. But it's natural. You follow what I'm saying? But for a woman to burn in her lust for another woman or a man to burn in his lust for another man is not in your natural human being. It is demonic. Men and women who participate in that lifestyle are full of demons. You can't think like that, Brother Wesley, in your natural mind. It's demonic. And everywhere you go, you can't walk into the grocery store without being afflicted by demons. You can't walk into Walmart without being afflicted by demons. You can't go in to pay for your gas in a convenience store without coming out feeling. I mean, some of you that's walk with God and fellowship with God, do you ever find yourself in a place where suddenly you feel dirty? Don't you don't some of you don't understand what that is. It's demonic. It's demonic affliction. And I'm telling you, the antichrist spirit in this world has so infiltrated society. There was a time in this country, Miss Patsy, when God was on the land. There was a time in this country when people would go by a church and they would reverence the house of God and there was enough of the workings and the movings, Brother Jesse, of the Holy Ghost of God around to constrain some things. But in the day that we live in, there's so much demonic activity and God's people get so oppressed and so beat down. But listen, all you got to do, fellas, go to the mall. Go to Valley Hills Mall in Hickory and find out how long it takes you for Satan to attack your mind. And I, listen, I talk to men almost every week that say, Brother Mike, I've got to where I can't even go to where I can't even look where I'm going. We've trained a generation of teenagers that when they're eight years old, they've got to look like they're 28. And they wear their clothes too short on both ends. And let me just help you with this, ladies. Let me help you. Our ladies in this congregation, I commend you. You are very modest, and I appreciate that. But when you start to get dressed before you come to church or before you go anywhere else, you think about in your mind, why are you wearing what you're wearing? Why are you doing it? Are you trying to be attractive? Or are you trying to be seductive? And in your heart, ladies, listen to me, in your heart, you know the difference. You don't need Preacher Mike to spell that out for you. You know. But I'm going to tell you what, we live in a society, Wayne Woody, that everything you look at has been saturated with pornography. I mean, just look at the commercials that come on regular television. Honest for the Lord, you listen to me. Everything that we deal with is being controlled seemingly by the spirit of Antichrist that's worked in a generation. That is training a generation of young people to embrace the Antichrist. I'm going to tell you what, God's people are oppressed. I know a five, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings. I know five individuals 
five in this congregation, in this congregation, that have talked to me about suicide in the last two weeks. Five. Four of those five, I believe, with all my heart are saved. Why is that? It ain't just five. That's just the ones that's talked to me. Why is that? Because you're getting pounded and pounded and pounded everywhere you go by the demonic forces that are raging because Satan knows his time is short. And he wants to get your mind off of praying for these lost folks so they'll go to hell. And he'll afflict you and he'll make you suffer. But the principle tells us when the nation of Israel goes to crying for God, God's going to deliver them. They're already crying. And I'll tell you tonight, when God's people get to... You know what's been wrong with the church for about 40 years, Brother Jesse? We've been happy. You've just been tickled to death to be here. Praise God, it's good Amen. to be here. I mean, we got good, we got good cars, got good houses, got good padded pews to come in. I mean, why would we want to go to heaven? But when that oppression gets so strong against God's little youngest that we get to the place where we say, well, I don't want to be here no more. When we cry, we'll fly. Why do you think God's letting you feel the pressure you're feeling? He ain't beating up on you. He's trying to get you to a place where you're humbled on your knees. He's trying to get you to a place where you're absolutely where God wants you to be. I believe God's letting some of us get humbled down to a place we won't be ashamed when He comes, Mr. Honor. But Mark, I don't want to be ashamed when he comes. And if God has to humble me down that I have to spend 15 times a day going back on my knees begging God to help me, if that gets me humble so I'm right when he comes, so be it. Do you all understand he's fixing to come? I ain't talking about 10 years from now. I ain't talking about your youngins growing up. I mean Jesus is coming. You say, Brother Mike, are you setting dates? No, I'm not that foolish. But I'm just telling you, it's in my heart he's coming. You better get ready. If you're saved, you better make sure you're walking with God. Listen, let me ask you what, what's really important in your life. I mean, what's, what's really important? Working, making money, buying houses, new vehicles. What, what's, what's important, folks? There's some of you work a lifetime. Make sure your children and grandchildren have money in the bank. You ain't put one bit of concern in their souls. It's coming a day this stuff's going to burn, folks. It ain't going to matter. It ain't going to matter. I know you've got to have a house to live in. I know it takes money to get along. I understand. That ain't what I'm saying. We need to get our priorities in the right place. This thing's over with. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you need to make sure you're walking humble before God. Because one of these days, you ain't going to get a second chance. He's coming. And as the tree falls, Brother Wester, there it lays. And if you meet God and you're saved and you meet God and you've squandered and you've thrown away and you've messed around, fooled around, thrown away everything God's give you, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be ashamed. There'll be no reward. You've built on wood, hay, and stubble and it'll all be burned. It'll all go away. I'm going to tell you, there's some things in this world a whole lot more important than monetary gain. I tell you what, I'd spend some time laboring over some souls in prayer. That's what the devil's trying to keep you from doing tonight, praying for lost souls. I'd try to go to heaven with somebody that I'd won to God. Tonight, if you're here and you're lost, you know that. You know you're not ready to meet God. 
This thing's going to be over so quick you won't know what happened. It'll be over with. I don't know how to tell you how quick a moment in the twinkling of an eye is. But once it's over, the Holy Spirit of God's removed. There'll be no other opportunities. The Word of God said, Seek the Lord while He is near. And if God's close enough, He'd even bother you. I'd humbly get to asking Him, Lord, help me.